Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are embodied creatures and we need touch. And we need, you know, people need to be held. And we need sometimes for someone to dry our tears, all those things. And you, you can't do that over the tech. I mean, we, there is a time for high touch more than high tech. And I think a lot of people are craving that, understandably. This is not normal, healthy for our species to have so little physical contact with people we care about. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. We're momming today with Dr. Keith Humphreys, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Stanford University, a psychologist and a father of two teenagers. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Humphreys, thank you for joining us. Really glad to be here. We typically podcast with mothers, but we welcome you <laughs> as a father. I, I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> and someone who can address a lot of questions that I, myself, and basically everyone I know um, have right now. If we knew the pandemic would last this long, would we have or should we have kept devices away from our kids earlier? Because in the beginning, we were really loose to say, here, go on the iPad. And now we might be rethinking that decision. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point how things we adopt out of what we think is necessity then have a way of becoming enduring habits that are very hard to break. And I think that's definitely where we are. But I have sympathy for parents, including, and not just myself and my wife, but all, all, all parents in that, you know, school is being routed over the internet for a lot of kids. Their social interaction is now being routed over the internet. So it's really tough to set limits unless we're going to say you can't learn anything in school and you can't interact with your friends. And so we're kind of stuck for the for the moment. And um, uh, so I, I think we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much. We just have to be ready for when this ends, and it will end, for how we're going to uh, get back to a healthy relationship with technology. And when, when we get to that moment where we can put down the devices because life will open up again, is there going to be a period of withdrawal? Yeah, there almost certainly will be. I mean, the thing about tech is it's just extraordinarily rewarding and it is wired to be rewarding uh, for us. Um, it, it gets us uh, all kinds of rewards. It gets them for us quickly and consistently. Um, the, the kinds of games that are available are astonishing, you know, and how, how engaging they are, particularly, I have to say, to boys, but but also to to girls. And, you know, pulling that away, you're going to get the same reaction you do when you take a piece of candy away from a baby. You know, it's, it's not going to be welcome. Um, but there's a, there are strategies that can help. Uh, the, the biggest one is don't try to replace something with nothing. 
So straight denial is hard, but it, there are lots of awards out there that kids haven't had for a long time. Like what? And we need, well, for example, things like uh, physical activity, like playing, you know, sports with their friends, like having their friends come over, like uh, uh, going for a, a hike or going for a swim or, or um Anything that where we, we focus on other human beings directly rather than staring at our phones or staring at a screen. And because those things are fun and engaging and we're wired to like them, that's going to help us wean our kids off staring at a screen all day. You say wean our kids off and you were a senior advisor to President Obama on drug policy. Are, are you comparing devices to drugs? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say they're exactly the same. I don't want people to freak out. It's not like heroin. It's going to kill somebody. And and also, of course, some things that come over these devices are fantastic. I mean, a lot of our kids are learning in school through these devices. But there is a parallel phenomenon that happens of people uh, having a sort of compulsive relationship with tech like they do with drugs. So thinking about it all the time, uh, orienting all their behavior around it and just stopping cold turkey is very hard. So that's why I use that term wean. I think, you know, as parents, if we go from, you know, you've got 15 hours a day of unfettered access to none, uh, there will probably be an explosion heard in American homes, uh, you know, throughout the world. Um, But uh, going back to more reasonable restrictions more gradually, I think is more likely with most kids uh, to to bring them on board and uh, get them back into a a good uh, amicable relationship with us as parents and with the tech do you, um, I, I know you're in California. I mean, do you speak to Silicon Valley? Do you speak to the creators of these games, apps, what have you, um, that are doing their jobs? They're, they're creating um, apps that, that hook us, that, that addict us. That's what they're supposed to do, Absolute, right? Absolutely. Um, they even use the same language I do. They talk about the addictiveness of things, except they mean it in a good way. When an app is addictive, they're very excited. Is there a middle ground where the they can create that addiction, but maybe do so in a more beneficial way, or it's a hands-off approach for them? Uh, no, it's definitely, you know, there are have long been games that teach kids things that are fun to do, um, that um, ally that, you know, the addictiveness of the wonderful graphics and the sound and the feedback with something productive, whether it's, you know, teaching them how to type, how to spell, how to do math problems, to learn geography, all those king, uh, things. And that's all really terrific. Um, other parts of it is, you know, entirely based on entertainment and entertainment is, is fine. I mean, they're, they're, you know, that's, that's part of enjoying life. Um, but the incentive for the maker of a, of a game, of course, is to get kids to use it as much as possible and tell their friends about as much as possible, uh, to buy as many upgrades as possible. And so they don't really have an incentive to, you know, cut cut uh, off at some point. And so that's going to have to come either from regulation uh, or more, more likely from all of us as parents. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll be back with Dr. Humphreys in just a second when We're Momming Today returns. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. 
That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And we're back on We're Mama today talking about um, the addictiveness of, of devices, essentially. And, and you know, Keith, you're, you're a father of two. What's it like in your household right now? Well, um, I'd say my, my sons have evolved man caves. Um, you know, they, 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 and they lobbied successfully. They're very effective. <laughs> Maybe they'll end up as attorneys, but they, you know, lobbied each for their own space to, it started out to do their classes, which we certainly understood they needed the quiet in the space, but then that has grown to also where they play their games and hang out. And if we don't pry them out of there, uh, we won't see them during the day, even though we're all home. And so we have instituted, uh, you know, we have shared meals. Everybody comes to the table. You don't eat at your computer. There's no tech allowed at the computer. Uh, we interact with each other and then we all hang out and just talk and chat. Again, no tech involved. And that's partly to keep us close as a family, but also because I want them to have some experience of, of joy and connection and love not mediated over a computer so that they learn those things can be connected, but they do not have to be. Are you worried that your teenagers or your students are completely losing social skills? Uh, you know, I, I do worry about that. I mean, people point out to me, you know, correctly, like, well, when they're playing a game online or they're chatting online, they're texting and things, and that's a form of connection. And that's true. But you're not going to get a job by texting. You have to have a job interview. You're not going to go on dates and, you know, hopefully, you know, get, get uh, married at some point, raise a family, things we, a lot of us would like to see our kids be able to do over texting. You have to be able to interact in real time. You have to listen and you don't have to listen online. You can always ignore a text or, um, you know, uh, think about responding for a very long time, which you can't do in a, in a, in an intimate conversation. So that, that is kind of uh, scary the thought that, you know, the only way, you know, kids would be able to have a party is if everybody get, brings their own laptop and all sits in the corner and just emails each other. Right? Is that happening, though? I mean, is is it, that where we're at? I, it's not my I mean, my kids aren't that old. And, and I, you know, I never had to online date. And, you know, I went to college. We didn't even have cell phones. Um, but is can you date really? I mean, you can on on all these apps without having a real conversation with the person. Because they're judging uh, yeah. you based on your profile and your and your messages. Clearly, a lot of mating and dating has moved to apps and even other types of social interaction. So this, I don't see this with my sons, but some of my uh, friends uh, who have teenagers say that their teenage friends come over and then they all sit in the same room and text each other, which seems strange to me because <laughs> couldn't you, you could call them on your phone at that distance, right? Um, you know, um, and that, that seems kind of unusual. But in the end, I mean, if you think about, you know, a key reason people are, are dating uh, is it's not all going to be satisfied by texting, right? Um, so, you know, the, the, there needs to be um, the, the chance for physical, physical presence, physical contact is what people are also looking for. And that can't be mediated over a computer. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I've noticed, you know, I, I work in media um, and, you know, Friday at whatever point, you know, the weekend starts and I, I put my devices down and, you know, I pick them up sometimes on Saturday, always on Saturday, but sometimes maybe later on Saturday. And wow, I missed a lot of emails I probably should have answered, but nobody really has a problem with that. 
I, I think there's an underst or or I feel there's an understanding. Okay, it's the weekend. She'll answer when she can. Um, do you think that's actually true, or did I make that up in my head? <laughs> well, I think it's a healthy role to have. Um, I I myself follow something very similar. I don't. I try not to work at all on Saturday in, in any form, including online. But I do see where where I live this kind of go go culture that a lot of adults feel they can't do that, uh, that uh, the workplace will view them as not as engaged, uh, as not as available, and that it may harm their careers. I don't necessarily know that that it will harm their careers, but they have that sense of, I can't just get an email on Friday from a colleague and say, well, this is weekend, I'll respond on Monday. There's expectation you will do it on Saturday or at the latest on on Sunday. Yeah, you know, I I think... um... I'd almost go in the opposite direction, telling young people who are, you know, always have their phones in their hands that, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're quick to answer all the time, you almost look too desperate in a way or too available or like you don't have a life or, you know, it's like, it's almost strange. Like, why is this person always answering? Sometimes there's a healthy pause that's, that's needed in between correspondence. I absolutely agree. And, and also particularly with work emails, when you respond, you're reinforcing the person who sent you the email to send you another one. So I, I have like, you know, sometimes it feels like cancer. You can't just, you know, it just keeps growing back, you know, no matter how much you, you respond. And uh, I've learned over time that getting the reputation of someone who doesn't respond to every email immediately means you get less email, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, if, if you would allow me just to pivot completely here. Um, sure. Are you working on anything um, linking an increase in addiction, drug addiction, opioid use with the pandemic? Unfortunately, it has gotten a lot worse uh, for a couple different reasons. So one thing is there's a lot of stress, as everybody knows. You have people who have lost their jobs, have other type of economic uh, stress. You have people who have lost loved ones, people who have been sick uh, from, from the virus. So strains, um, you know, depression, anxiety, isolation are all risk factors for using substances. And they're also risk factors for people who are in recovery, of which we have, you know, probably about 25 million people who, uh, you know, had an addiction and now now are doing better. It puts pressure on them uh, around relapse. And I'm seeing more people who I thought were in a pretty good place um, falling back into uh, their substance use. The other thing that happens is a lot of the resources people use to get better are not as available. So, you know, you can still, in my department, we still, um, you know, offer mental health services, but it all has to be online. Not everybody wants to do that. The, the, the great fellowships we're so lucky to have, like Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, again, they can't meet in person. They've mostly migrated online. Some people don't feel as comfortable with that tech, and so they don't go. And that, again, creates a different kind of pressure of it's not just that it's easier to, to get into an, a state where you're struggling with substance, but it's harder to get out of it because the supports aren't as available as they used to be. And that kind of links all of this together. The fact that you can move, you could pivot everything to, to being virtual and not in person, but sometimes experiencing real life, talking to real people, going outside makes a big difference. That's really true. I mean, no one can hug you online. Yeah. Uh, they can be warm, they can be kind, they can say useful things, but we are uh, 
embodied creatures and we need uh, we need touch and we need, you know people need to be held and um, we need sometimes for someone to dry our tears all those things and you, you can't do that over the tech I mean we there is a time for high touch more than high tech and um, I think a lot of people are craving that understandably this is not normal healthy for our species to have so little physical contact with people we care about. And as an expert in how the brain works, in psychiatry, in behavioral sciences, what would your advice be to parents out there who are seeing their kids struggle in in many different ways right now? So a couple different things. One is to not panic. It's not that all of this stuff is bad. In some cases, it's very, very good. It may be the only interaction your kids can get right now outside the home and maybe how they're learning. The second thing is not to beat yourself up. This is a really hard situation uh, and we have many, many things to manage from the pandemic as adults and then also new challenges as parents. And so it's hard to be, it's hard to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. Um, that's okay. That, that's part of, the, part of the journey. The, the critical thing is to just not let the necessities of adapting to a pandemic become how we live forever. We're going to have a big opportunity this year, I believe. I think I think the between you know vaccines and also many people having had the virus, it's going to start dying out. And that's our chance as parents to say, wait a minute, we set all these new procedures. We had to, but now we have choices again, and I want to use this opportunity. And if you have you know, very young kids, that's about you setting different rules and norms. If you have kids my age, teenagers, it's also about talking to them and saying, this is why we're doing this. This is why as a family, we're going on a hike this afternoon, because I want to spend time with you. I want you to be out in the world. I want you to get exercise. I want you to get sun. And I want us to have fun away from this tech. And remember, that's a big part of life. And we don't want to give it up just because we were forced to by a terrible virus outbreak. So it's pushback. It's saying that, you know, and a lot of people say the pandemic changes to how we live, how we how we relate um, that they won't go away, you know, telehealth it, won't go away. The list goes on, but, but your argument is they have, these can't be permanent changes. It yeah, may be our life for a year and a half when all is said and done, but you know, you have to pivot back to the old that's normal. Right. That's right. We need to re we need to reevaluate everything. And some of them will say, Hey, we want to keep this. Uh, you know, my boss is okay with me not going in on Friday. It takes away an hour nice. commute. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Keep it, keep it. Um, in, in my uh, little patch of the world, we're able to give mental health services to people who live way out in rural areas who could never come in. Um, and that's great. We'll keep that too. But what we don't want to keep is the neglect of, you know, uh, physical contact, in-person interaction, physical exercise, uh, enjoying the outdoors, all these things that a lot of us have given up. Those are precious things. And it would be terrible for our kids. They have so much, you know, so many years left to enjoy those things if that just uh, stops being part of their lives because of this period where they were forced into this kind of, you know, cave-like existence that we're all in. Cave-like existence. Well, at least you have nice weather where you are in California. We do. <laughs> so we're you can go outside. Way. My daughter's always begging me to go on play dates, and I'm like, "Well, we 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 don't we can't have people in our house, and it's freezing cold to be outside, and it, it's, it's it's tough." tough. Yeah, it's really I know. Tough. I know. Um, Dr. Humphreys, thank you for momming with us today. Do appreciate your perspective. Thank you. Really nice to talk with you. 
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.